I was under the impression that I was the clever bastard before I went in, but these boys were a completely different class. Head tricksters of the Premier Division. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to the final segment of Overdrive. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. Great segment with Ian R. Crane uh, on the live link there from the front lines of the anti-fracking movement. And uh, joining us now for this final segment, our roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine, is with us on the line. We missed him last week, but we've got him back this week. Hello, Basil. Hello, Patrick. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you, too, Basil. And, uh, you know, uh, you've got a few zingers for us uh, this week, and a lot of people are looking forward to seeing what you're serving up on your news cycle plate uh, today. What what have you got for us, Basil? Well, the uh, the line between politics and sport seems to be increasingly blurred. In other words, uh, politics seems to be enacted as a sport these days, a boxing match taking place at the moment between the UK and the European Union. The latest Brexit secretary, Dominic Raab, has flown to Brussels for emergency talks just this afternoon in a bid to avert the looming no-deal Brexit. There's a meeting of European ministers this week. And uh, the Europeans, uh, the 27 ambassadors, are very concerned that nothing has yet been decided. Mm. Interesting. Um, I'm smelling a second referendum coming uh, in February, Basil. Well, there's the march on uh, next Saturday, October the 20th, if any listeners want to go, the March for the People's Vote. Latest polls show something like two-thirds would now vote to remain, given the second chance, you know. I'm Mm. slightly surprised that the that the that the Tories haven't decided to take the easy way out and go for the second referendum. I think there'd probably be a majority for the second referendum in the House of Commons. But, of course, the uh, hardline Brexiteers, led by Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, are still pressing for some kind of hard Brexit and threatening to tear the government down should the deal be based on checkers. Plus, of course, we still have the question of the border with the I, with, with the EU, mm-hmm. generally referred to as the Irish border question. Basically, the United Kingdom, if it leaves the European Union, if and when, we're due to leave in March, that has to have a border somewhere with the European Union. Obviously, there's an actual border in the sea with France, Holland, and the rest. But what about Ireland? Because, you know, obviously, the Republic is part of the European Union. Northern Ireland will cease to be part of the European Union, but the whole deal with the Democratic Unionists is that they will not allow Northern Ireland to be treated differently from the rest of the UK. So 
you know, is the, they don't want the border in the sea between Northern Ireland and Ireland. And, of course, any sort of hard border on the island of Ireland goes against the Good Friday Agreement. And still nothing on these, which is why this chap's over there now trying to thrash it out, you know. I, I, what about the DUP? This is the uh, the, the 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 murky uh, political faction in uh, in Northern Ireland that that gave this conservative government the coalition, uh, the minority government to to rule in coalition. But the DUP have come to sting Theresa May like the scorpion and the toad. Um, what did you catch that this week? Yeah, there's talk of they, they say that the the line their line in the sand is blood red, literally blood red. They will not contemplate um, a border in the Irish Sea, whereupon passports or customs checks, anything like that, take place when travelling from Northern Ireland to the mainland, because that, of course, means that Northern Ireland would become effectively second-class part of the European Union. Mm-hmm. May is trying to fight it by saying everybody stays in the customs union till we've sorted out a trade deal, which is basically just kicking the whole thing into touch. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll see. You know, we shall see. It's a train wreck. It's a slow-motion train wreck, Patrick. <laughs> so, so really, um, uh, uh, it seems to me, Basil, and we'll move on to, uh, to, to your U.S. stories, but it seems to me, just to, to conclude, that the, the, hard, uh, the hard Brexit position by uh, Boris Johnson and uh, Jacob, Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, it's, it's almost like uh, the extreme um, pinata where, whereby it's so extreme it's going to actually push people, they're going to push people back to the center, perhaps even push some moderates over back to remain, because at some point people are going to throw their hands up in the air and say, we've had enough, we just want it to be over, uh, it's just too complicated, and there's too much bad blood uh, in, in, you know, in the politics in the country. So in, in a way, I think the, the, the hard Brexit Tory uh, I don't think they're genuine at all, but I think they're just playing it's, it's that. Inc- yeah, it's an increasingly isolated position. Yes. That way, I yes. it. Or the no deal Brexit, you know. Yeah. The no de- I mean, people are still talking about the very distinct possibility of a no deal Brexit. And uh, this would be, uh, this would be an absolute car crash. I know people in business are terrified of it. Even our beloved horse racing would be affected and it would be much more difficult for Horses to travel between Britain and Ireland, of course. Oh, big uh, problem. Big problem, exactly. For people like the Magnios, you know. Well, yeah, cool horse. Yeah. That's right. Wow, big problem. I mean, just, yeah, yeah, I know, just the way the arrangements have been in the last 25 years and the fact everybody has got so comfortable with this. you know, freedom of movement, particularly of goods and services, but also of people, means that, you know, is it all going to come to a juddering halt? You know, is our reality going to be changed dramatically, Patrick? Do you know what I mean? Or is, um, is something I... going to come out of this that, you know, that enables things to be business as usual? I mean, this government have done badly enough with the economy, with, their, with the austerity, but this added uncertainty means that people are talking about 20, 30, 40% possible drops in the London housing market in price, right. you know, uh, and everybody's starting to get a bit scared and say, this is all getting a bit stupid, you know? Yeah. 
I think that might drive that that could drive uh, the the public to a second referendum. Anyway, we'll we'll see. I think all will become we'll clear. See. Yeah, it will, be, it will become clear after Christmas um, or even December. It'll become clear. But well, they kind of want a few answers this week, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we you will you will get a few, but um, I just think they're just uh, they're kicking the can down the road to an inevitable inevitable surrender. I just I just see it coming. Um, we've said that for for a long time, but I really Absolutely. feel it. I know yeah. you and Mike Robinson have said we'll never leave, you know, and um, it yeah. may be that we leave in name only. We shall see, you know. Yeah, I just always thought it was a moving target. <laughs> it was just a moving yeah. target. But yeah. uh, so, what's going on across the pond? Uh, it seems the yeah the broomstick of the wicked wicked witch of the west uh, the has ru- said, yes yes. I mean what's. Nikki Haley departed the United Nations rather suddenly, and nobody really seems to have come up with a good reason why, unless it's to prepare for a 2020 presidential bid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is, actually. I think she's very ambitious, very ambitious. She'll challenge the incumbent. That's a very unusual scenario, by the way, uh, to have the Republicans challenge an incumbent or the Democrats, for that matter. Hasn't happened in a very long time, Basil. There's due to be an ethics investigation into her private jet travels. But um, this day and age, that's the sort of thing that's sort of brushed aside, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, what's I mean, that? Maybe 30 or 40 years ago, that could have brought somebody down, but not, not today, you know. So, um, you know. Um, but, you know, first of all, let's just celebrate the fact she's going, Patrick. I mean, people are, uh, you know, concerned about who he appoints next. He's so erratic. It could be anybody from sort of Bill Murray to The Rock. It could be, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> or Kid Rock. <laughs> yeah, you name it, yeah, you know, yeah. Eminem. You yeah. know, who does, who, does, who does he, maybe his personal masseur or something, you know. Yeah, Twisted Sister, uh, Dean Schneider, I think. He's, um, he's, <laughs> because I think he was essentially, he was half serious about his daughter, Ivanka Trump. He, he said he, that to sort of... <laughs> He said that to float the to float the idea and see what the reaction was, you know. <laughs> That's God ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah. He was testing the waters, right? Testing the wind, well, the I trade think he winds. Really was. Yeah. 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 Now I've actually got uh, uh, a sports betting site who have some numbers on the next ambassador to the United oh, Nations. Excellent. Uh, let's hear the whole field. Well, it's different. This is American uh, American odds, and I'm not quite sure how this works, but we can certainly sort of uh, work out the proportions and what they are. Uh, mm-hmm. The favorite is Richard Grenell, currently the ambassador to Germany. Yep. I don't know too much about him. Do you know anything about him? Yes, he, he's very presentable. Uh, he, he's, he's a conservative, but he's a moderate. Um, he might be gay. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But someone said he might be bringing his husband along. I sort of inferred that might be the. They could be gay. I don't know. But uh, you know, very presentable. Well, that's, interesting. that's interesting because Trump has actually recently withdrawn various sort of diplomatic privileges from same-sex partners of incoming diplomats from other countries. No, seriously. Yes. Yes. 
and that's interesting. So, um, you know, you know, obviously much to the, you know, consternation of the LGBT community, but sort of various privileges ex- uh, extended to diplomats to married couples will not now be extended to same-sex couples. Okay. Well, I don't... Uh, don't, don't, don't foreign dignitaries coming to the U.S., whether to serve as ambassadors in Washington or at the U.N. Okay. Well, don't... Yeah, so don't quote that, me. Richard Grenell, maybe not, you know. Yeah. So, so what about the other rest of the field? Uh, just behind him in the betting, Richard Grenell's the favorite, is Dina Powell, former senior counselor to the president for economic initiatives. Um, okay. She, she's she's controversial. She's a bit of controversial uh, pick there, but but she's well-connected, well-connected. Yeah. She says she's ruled herself out. But they yeah. often say that. Uh, then we have John Huntsman, currently ambassador to Russia. That's right. Former presidential hopeful, if you remember. Yeah, he's a strong pick. He's a strong pick. Uh, certainly, you know, experienced diplomat is as experienced as, as Trump probably has uh, right now. You know, below the age of ninety, uh, I would say. Yeah, Huntsman's a, a good strong pick. Grinnell is a strong pick. Obviously, the relationship with Germany is important, uh, so Grinnell ticks the boxes there. Uh, and what about? Uh, have you heard? The Kaylee ba- uh, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, the NATO ambassador. What about her? She's a war hawk, and certainly Bolton likes a war hawk, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, she's the one who threatened preemptive strikes against yeah. Russian. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, as ambassador to NATO, I, you can come out with this kind of stuff, but at the UN, it's far more dangerous. You know. Yeah, it's not um, a good look. Um, of course, whoever it is, he's got to get past the fifty-one forty-nine Senate, mm-hmm. um, assuming that he picked somebody before the midterms. Just carrying on down the list, uh, after Grenell, Dina Powell, and Huntsman, um, I'm afraid the next is Jared Kushner. Now, if he didn't want to seem nepotistic by giving the job to his uh, his daughter, well, Jared is the living definition of nepotism. Yeah. Um, and he'd obviously be uh, arguably the only candidate uh, even more pro-Israel than Nikki Haley, which is really saying something. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's going to that's gonna be... See, the Democrats would have a hard time rejecting him because the Jewish lobby would be basically pressuring both yeah. sides of the aisle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you know, if, if I could get a fiver on in this country, it might well go on him, I'm afraid to say. You yeah. Know? You, you could claim that whatever he's been doing in the Middle East, cooking up this ultimate deal, which sounds anything but, mm-hmm. uh, sort of somehow qualifies him. But hopefully, oh, the other name I heard last week was Joe Lieberman. I did see that, too. That's, uh, that's, that's a safe pick for both, because uh, he, he's jumped between parties, Basil. He's been a Democrat. He's been a Republican. He's a bit of a cross-dresser politically. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think he's now an independent, theoretically. You know, and, and he's very, very strong on Israel. Obviously, he's a, he's a commit, committed Zionist. So that could be the pick. Actually, you could put ten ten bucks on Lieberman. You might get a little return, right? I wonder if uh, BB has been on the phone or will be on the phone to Trump this week to kind of nudge him in one direction or another. 
Yeah, Sheldon yeah, or, or Beeple, yeah. The, the, or Sheldon Ellison, yeah, exactly. The, the, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. being a, a really crucial role in terms of, uh, you know, sticking your hand up at the Security Council when there are uh, resolutions relating to Syria, Iran, Russia, Israel, of course, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a lick spittle spot at all. And one of the reasons Haley made what she jumped or did she push is that she was uh, perhaps a bit too, a bit too independent. But others are saying that, you know, it just indicates the sort of chaos that there is in Trump's foreign policy with, uh, you know, different senior officials, Bolton, Pompeo, Trump taking different positions on North Korea, Iran, and just about all points in between. Yeah, I think... I think, real you know. I, I think it's dangerous to have an openly uh, Zionist, um, you know, Jewish uh, UN ambassador, because if Israel goes on a tear, and by the way, they're planning to do another uh, session on Gaza, probably, and some people are saying in the coming month, um, then, you know... Th th it's, it, they're going to come under a lot of criticism if because there will be sort of a lot of accusations of a conflict of interest or they're just biased towards Israel. I mean, so I think they they need a, a neutral-looking person in that position. It doesn't seem to be directly connected I, with I'm, Israel. I, I, I'm not sure they care anymore, Patrick. You know, oh, a, game may, a game may be 20 or 30 years ago, but these days things are sort of completely and utterly brazen. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I. We shall see. I hope you're right. Um, moving on to the big job itself. Uh, latest polls showed that Americans are almost exactly evenly split on whether or not Trump will win re-election in 2020. Which, you know, considering the the way this administration's been going, I think 45 percent of the senior posts in the State Department remain unfilled two years in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. All sorts of ambassadorships remain unfilled. It's, unfilled. it's a sort of skeleton administration. Uh, a lot of people say he doesn't know what he's doing, but just simply not, not on who they're going to vote for, but simply on who will win next time. 46% think Trump will win in 2020. 47% think he'll lose. Uh, the, the 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 figure that think he'll win is up, and the figure that think think he'll lose is down. So it's getting closer and closer. And overall, with the bookies, he's the thirteen to eight favourite to win the twenty twenty presidential election. There isn't anybody as an individual even close to him. If you see what I mean. Well, yeah, I think the bookies are the bookies are rarely really wrong on these types of product projections, especially a second term uh, president, because there's a lot more, uh, let's say, reassurance uh, in terms of an incumbent uh, than sort of an unknown quantity. And if you follow the trajectory of Ronald Reagan, uh, then I think you could say Trump is in for a very good shot for a second term uh, because he has the incumbent bounce. But not only that, this is what I think. This is I, I think the, the more divisive and more nasty and more uh, polarized the American political situation continues to become, and it hasn't gone moderate. It's just gotten more radical. Uh, and when they say liberal mobs, angry mobs, they're not kidding. These are literally angry liberal mobs. So that's so. what I'm saying is no one's going to shed 
from the Trump's uh, support base. But they, the Democrats could shed uh, people who are maybe sort of more moderate or Reagan Democrats that are just still lingering on the Democratic side. They're going to basically go either they're not going to show up to vote or they're going to move over to the Trump side. Uh, because Trump, with more confidence, uh, with the economy doing well, he's probably going to, he should, if you go by some past presidents, become sort of more, uh, he's going to move to the center a little more on, on, on a lot of issues. So it's going to make it more difficult uh, for centrists to maybe say no. Do they want to be with the angry mob who's burning buildings down and destroying police cars and spitting on people? Or do you just want to be on that sort of centrist, uh, more uh, Trumpian position there. That's that's it's going to come down to that. So I think if they if the Democrats win the midterms, uh, they win the House back and they start impeachment. They try to do an impeachment proceedings. That's only going to I think help Trump going into 2020. So and if Nancy Pelosi, who's about I don't know, she's about 120 this year. I think she's like the oldest person ever uh, to serve. Practically, she's she's. She's knocking on Strom Thurmond's door, basically. If she's the Speaker of the House going into re-election, I think this is very good for Trump. So, in, in fact, if I was Trump, I would want the Democrats to win the House. I'd want Pelosi up there like Bugs Bunny every day doing that thing she does like Bugs Bunny. That's going to help him win a re-election. If, if they don't win and if the polls are wrong and they're lying like they did with Hillary to, to create a false market – in terms of public opinion, uh, and the Republicans win, I think that's not good for Trump. If they keep the House and the Senate, I think that I think the uh, they need motivation in the base, and they need uh, uh, a daily sort of farce to sort of underline why you should reelect this president. That's in a nutshell. That's that's my take. Uh, so Francis Fukuyama, if you remember him, the. I- yeah, with that idiotic uh, "the end of history" quote, he claims he was uh, slightly misrepresented by that. Uh, <laughs> he's, got a new, he's got a new book out, uh, and uh, it, it highlights the sort of redrawing of American political boundaries along identity politics lines with the Republicans, the party of middle-class white people, and particularly men, and Democrats being the party of. Uh, uh, ethnic minorities, women, LGBT community, etc., and how dangerous this is for American politics. Um, I'd be partly right, as we know, that, that this has increasingly been the case. The Democrats certainly presenting themselves as the party of, of identity politics, which, of course, is a complete contradiction of everything that the labor movement was supposed to be about. Exactly. It didn't matter what the color of your skin was, what your sexual orientation was, what your sex was, or intersex, or anything else like that. What matters was whether the the workers, working class, were united against exploitative capitalist bosses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we seem to have come a long, long way from that. Um, I, I suppose the figure who represents the sort of old democratic party and sort of isn't someone that we associate immediately with identity politics is the front runner the man in this latest poll for cnn the dreaded cnn who tops the sort of almost infinite democrat primary field is former vice president joe biden 
with, oh, a third of, with a third of the support, 33%. And a long way clear of Bernie Sanders on 13%, Kamala Harris, 9, Elizabeth Warren, 8, Cory Booker, and John Kerry, both on 5. Immediately underneath them, we have someone who I think is preparing for a run. He made a speech in New Hampshire on Saturday night, New Hampshire being one of the early voting primaries. Always uh, interesting to see who pops up in, in Iowa and, and New Hampshire and places like this. And that's Michael Bloomberg. Ah, oh, interesting. 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 He's, on four, he's only on 4%, but uh, he's got the money, and I, I, I think he's going to run. I mean, I think he fancies himself against Trump, as it were, yeah. in, the battle of, in the battle of the plutocrats. Well, 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 Bloomberg could could he would be a good uh, basically to go in. I don't think he can win. I don't think he has the broad base appeal, but but he could go in strong and then draft in as a vice presidential uh, candidate. So and, and he's he's a known quantity. Yeah. He's a known quantity. People know him. Uh, he is he's very liberal. He's got strong liberal positions. They, they love all his anti-gun stuff. So, you know, yeah, I can see him as, as a that father figure vice president to a younger presidential candidate, maybe. Yeah, the other guy who I think seems to be sort of posturing and preparing for a run is uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder. Yes, I saw that, too. Yeah, I, I think I don't. Yeah, that guy. I wouldn't, you know. <laughs> That guy is something else. He is really something else. So I hope he does, actually. That would be brilliant. I think, you know what my prediction is? The Democratic 2020 presidential run is going to be like the California governor race uh, in around 2000 when Schwarzenegger ran. It was like Danny DeVito, Gary Coleman from different strokes, like 20 or 30 people piled in there. And Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. ma- managed to win. He got the, he won with like, something's ridiculously low amount of votes like i mean, he might even have had like a couple of million only uh, or less you know because the field was so it was like the grand national there's so many horses in the race um you didn't need to get a whole lot to win I, I, so i don't know michelle obama she'll be in there oprah they'll all throw their hat in the ring so a few yeah, pop stars right. yeah 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 so yeah it's, it's far too early to say really you know but what it's always interesting to uh to look for is uh, obviously who turns up at Bilderberg. Uh, David Rockefeller's passed away, mm. but uh, the sort of Rockefeller wing of the Democratic Party that uh, found and supported Clinton and Obama, uh, their candidate will be an in- interesting, you know, if you can spot him early, him or her early, you know, you're likely to have the Democratic candidate. Well, Hillary's getting a lot of press uh, this week. Uh, They're talking about her being the presumptive uh, nominee for the Democratic Party again in 2020. So they're 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 pushing Hillary Clinton forward. Uh, And I I, and her and Bill are doing this uh, this victory tour or this kind of get to know us tour, touchy feely kind of back again, you know, sort of thing. I don't know how much they're charging for tickets. But uh, between between seventy five and seven hundred and fifty dollars, they've always been good in making money. I have to hand it to the Clintons; they know how to turn a buck. They really do. They they're they're never brilliant uh, entrepreneurs in selling themselves, basically. So you know, better than any rock band. I mean, that's 
That's a good. That's a good price for a tour ticket, right? Fifty to one, you can get on Hillary Clinton being the next president of the United States. No kidding. That's five oh fifty to one. That's worth a tenner right there. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, that's a, you've got to that's wait a, a couple of years to get your money. That's the only trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two years to it mature. Certainly, it would certainly sweeten the pill, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, you know, anything's possible one, these at days. Least, at least if you put 500 quid in the bank when she takes the Oval Office, it's a sort of... Uh, <laughs> softens the blow a little bit, right? I, I, know people, I know people who back their favorite football team's opponents <laughs> in every match so that if their team wins, they're happy because their team won. And if their team loses, they're happy because at least they won some money. <laughs> so it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a strange way to go through life right there. Um, but it's actually quite smart and practical and pragmatic. So, But it's good to know there are people out there like that, Basil, and you should recognize them. Um, yeah. okay. It's a very shrewd way to go through life. Back your opponent. So either way, you win. That's That's brilliant. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. So That's you good. know, have have your money, have a, have a, have money on Hillary, and then if she gets in, uh, you'll be celebrating anyway. Last story then is the. Uh, it has to be Khashoggi. Okay, be 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 quick. We got two minutes. What, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? What a? What do you think happened to him, Patrick? And B? What do you think is going to happen next tonight? Britain, Germany, and France unusually have taken uh, the unusual step of launching a, a joint statement about Khashoggi. Well, first thing, uh, habeas corpus. There is no body. There is no crime. Uh, Unless there's evidence, he's a missing person. He's MIA right now. Um, And all this talk that he's been brutally murdered, uh, we don't know. The the Apple Watch thing filming his own death, that turns out to be fake news. So there's all sorts of garbage swirling around. We don't, you know, the bottom line is we don't know. Did Saudi do it? Maybe they did. Possibly, maybe quite possibly. But still, there's no evidence. I would say... Um, there's nothing that you can do to say conclusively. What I will say, however, is that Saudi Arabia is in the same position that uh, they, they stuck Russia in, which is that they need to disprove – they need to prove they didn't do it. There's no evidence for Skripal, but uh, they still accuse Russia internationally. Uh, and they need to. Russia needs to prove that they didn't do it, which is a bit of a uh, a logical fallacy. And certainly, in terms of jurisprudence, uh, it is. And so, Saudi's in the same position, uh, Basil. They have to prove they didn't do it. There's no evidence. So maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. That, that that's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, with the the, the joint British, uh, French, and German statement. Uh, ratcheting up the pressure has called on the Saudi government to give a complete and detailed account of Khashoggi's disappearance. That's about the size of it, you know. Geopolitically, Um, it's interesting geopolitically because you've got Qatar, you've got Turkey together. uh, They're working, in in a sense, against uh, Saudi Arabia there, but you've also got the United States, uh, who's an ally of Qatar and an ally of of Turkey, but on a little bit on the rocks, uh, definitely an ally of Saudi Arabia, but uh, they can, America can benefit from manipulating Saudi Arabia uh, in, in this way. So there's some geopolitical uh, chess going on, uh, Basil, and I'm sure there's a lot yeah, of money. I mean, it, yeah, go I know ahead. What you mean. And, for, and for, this, for this story to have, uh, you know, um, broken into sort of global headlines means as opposed to having been 
as we know what the what the MSM can do, sort of completely hushed up, ignored or ridiculed or whatever, means that there must be some kind of uh, deep state, deep diplomatic undercurrents as to why people want to put pressure on Saudi at this time. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes, exactly. There's something to be had or extracted or some benefit. We yeah. don't know, but we don't know what it is. I think this is a four-way, five-way deal. Okay, very difficult to read this one. Uh, so I, I, I'm having a hard time uh, seeing the tea leaves on this, uh, but I think it'll it'll become clear eventually. Um, it, I I don't know. I don't know. There's some some extraction. I mean, it's sort of James Bond gone, you know, James type thing, you know, luring an, uh, uh, somebody to his own country's consulate in order to then torture and murder him. I mean, it's absolutely yeah. bizarre, you know. What, what, what the and weirdest? However, despotic our regimes may be, Patrick. I don't think we're quite at that level yet. Should it indeed be proved? Well, yes, yes. Should it indeed be proved? I mean, it's, it's also possible that uh, Khashoggi is a CIA asset. Um, certainly, you know, having a column at the Washington Post doesn't help uh, dispel uh, that speculation. Um, but And he really wasn't much of, I mean, they say he was a dissident, but I mean, being a dissident in Saudi Arabia uh, is that, uh, you know, maybe you sort of, your head doesn't go down low enough when you bow. That qualifies you to being a dissident. Uh, in that world, and certainly he was very pro-jihadist, uh, wanted regime change in Syria. Uh, you know, he was he was questioning the right. Yemen for a little bit, like in the last couple of years. But I looked at interviews and stuff with him from a few years ago, and he was just as gung ho as anybody on most of the agenda. So uh, I'm not sure quite what to make of him. But you know, to see, I, I find it quite hypocritical for for the for the U.S. mainstream media broadcast media and also the washington post for that matter they have been cheerleading every single dirty war uh that saudi arabia has been involved in from trafficking weapons to isis and uh funding al-qaeda factions in syria destroying that country killing many many people uh in an illegal war against their neighbor yemen uh, which is, you know, yeah. the United States is and Britain are providing military backing for that. The Washington Post has been cheering for all of those things, and now one Saudi one Saudi dissident goes missing or is killed or whatever, uh, and they're all up in arms, and it's all a big, you know, moral crisis. You have to be kidding me! You have to really be kidding me! I mean, unbelievable. And this kind of showed, if anything, actually, my final thought, this event, this uh, controversy over Khashoggi really shows how derelict the United States media and political establishment are. Because they've been cashing those Saudi checks nonstop, right? And now all of a sudden, oh, it's a problem. Give me a break. Give me a break. If they can find a way to sweep it under the rug and keep that money flowing again, believe me, it'll be done by next week. They don't care about thousands of dead Iraqis or Syrians, do they? Do you know what I mean? No, no. And they do like their racehorses. Yeah. The Saudis. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> They're very good on horses. It's one thing they're great at. Great at, uh, great at racehorses. But, um, Basil, uh, we were running out of time for this week, but uh, great segment and uh, certainly a lot to think about going into this week. And uh, We really appreciate your your time. My pleasure, as always, Patrick. 
and uh, appreciate the odds on the UN ambassador too. That's also handy, and uh, it would be, uh, be be interesting to see. We might have a decision by next week, or we might have somebody up for the running. We'll wait and see. But uh, Basil Valentine, surely Rovi- they cannot be any worse than than that woman. Never That's say that. Thing. Never say that because I thought Samantha Power could not be outdone, and Nikki Haley did outdo samantha power so anything's possible anything's possible so never say never just i don't know what to what to think but (laughs) it could get worse it could get worse um but uh anyway uh thank you basil and thank you to our guest that's it ladies and gentlemen ian r crane uh f william angdahl uh what a fantastic show this is just a power-packed episode this week of the sunday wire thank you everybody uh we'll see you tomorrow on the uk column news live with mike robinson from 1 p.m to 2 p.m uk time on the television we're on the little screen either on your phone or your laptop or your computer ukcolumn.org or also youtube and facebook we'll see you tomorrow and we'll see you uh, hopefully next week uh, we, yeah, we're going to have an interesting week coming up. So maybe some surprises we'll let you know. But uh, thank you, everybody. And thank you to our supporters at 21wire.tv, our subscribers. Uh, if you want to support this show, you want to support the work we do, please uh, consider subscribing and becoming a member. We need your support now more than ever. Uh, thank you, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week. that the early reports were wrong, all wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home, sorry about that. I guess the only thing we can do is play you a song. (laughs) 